they're trying uh, to make 16 the age of adulthood. So let's just imagine your 16-year-old goes off to school and you're looking out your window after school waiting to see the bus and your kid doesn't get off the bus. You're like, where the fuck's my kid? Then you're on the phone and you're not getting a text back or anything else. A day or two later, you realize because somebody gets a hold of you, oh, no, your kid's dead. We killed him. Welcome once again to the Launchpad Podcast. My name is J-Man. Thank you very much for being here. I want to give a big shout out to my title sponsor, Car City Canada. Now, the gentleman that is on my side is a good friend of mine. We've become friends. We're fellow podcasters, and he's been doing a podcast that broadcasts all over the world, helping people with PTSD first responders, Operation Tango Romeo. He's been on this show before, and as much as I love talking to you, Mark Meinke, um, I wish it wasn't under these circumstances because we're talking about a very grave issue. And what we're going to be discussing is medical assistance in dying. And this hits home for you. And I guess it all started in regards to a story that broke in the news in regards to Veterans Affairs. It did. So before that story broke, that veteran that it was about came to me. And we had a previous dialogue about this, that, and the other. But prior to it breaking on global news with Mercedes Stevenson, he had given me two audio files. And these audio files were ones that he made himself of phone calls to Veterans Affairs Canada. So on phone call number one, which he didn't have recorded, he, that's when he was talking about services, asking for different services. And uh, they said, oh, by the way, you know, if up the road, you're starting to have some suicidal thoughts. And if you decide to go down that road, uh, just let us know because we, we can look after you. We can we can kill you so that you don't have to do it yourself. It's better than blowing your brains out against the wall, she said to him. And those words. Yeah. Wow. That's the conversation that we had anyway. But that phone call isn't recorded and Veterans Affairs Canada, although I know for a fact all calls are recorded, they're pretending that it's not. Mm -hmm. uh, so getting that particular phone call and bringing it out is, uh, is, is a bit of a challenge. But that's how it all started. And when this first came out and was broken on, on global, the official line was, this is one veteran. It was one caseworker. And this is the end of it. In the very first of several hearings of the Standing Committee of Veterans Affairs in Ottawa, at the very first one, it was said in, with, as an absolute by Paul Ledwell, the deputy minister, it was one veteran, it was one caseworker, it was isolated, and that's it. And our investigation, even though we, we're not done the investigation yet, right. but we've already concluded this decisively. And he was very clear on that. And right. he was asked that uh, two, three times, and he reiterated it. One veteran, one caseworker. Well, <laughs> right. uh, a little later on, uh, just before the, uh, I testified on the, the second uh, hearing, I was flown to Ottawa for that. And then the night, or the night before the third hearing, and it was going to be the final hearing, I get a call from somebody who will call himself Bruce because 
unfortunately I can't get the guy to come forward. I keep hoping, keep, I keep having my fingers crossed that he'll come forward and okay. use his name. But, um, he came to me and he says, yeah, it happened to me too. And this guy is in Ontario. Veteran number one was in British Columbia. And this is going to, why that's relevant. That's going to come out in a second here. But, uh, so veteran number one, where it was just one veteran, one time, one caseworker that was in BC veteran number two was Bruce. And, um, that was the night before the hearing. And somehow I was able to convince him to tell that story on my show. So it was quick. It was 10 minutes. Um, you could find it however many episodes ago that was made whistleblower Bruce and uh, listen to what he had to say. But it was almost the identical story. Um, the, the, the extra descriptive of blowing your brains out against the wall wasn't used. But other than that, it was, uh, it was the same. Okay. He's, and if, I could, he, if I could just interject in here for a second, uh, is that I also want to just be very specific with the audience, is that MAID has been around for a while, but it used to be for people that were strictly uh, suffering from chronic disease, etc., and now it's being opened up to people that have mental illness and PTSD being one of those in regards to suffering with depression, anxiety, et cetera, is that, well, I, we both believe, <laughs> I will jump on board with that, that someone with that type of mindset should not be making a decision as to whether or not they should be living or or not at that point. I, I, I probably didn't put it as delicately as possible. Possibly, No, no, it's, it's fine. Um, uh, so we can back up the bus a little bit with that. So originally when it came out, I, I supported it. I thought, hey, that's a good idea. You know, we'll put down a dog or a horse if uh, there's no fixing them. Why not a person? Um, if you have a right to life, you need that bodily autonomy. I was down with that. Um, but that's not the case. It's not reserved exclusively and there is no barrier to entry where you have to show conclusively that you're incurable, that death is imminent, or that you're suffering from untreatable pain. None of those things are required anymore. Right. That was the sales pitch when it first came out. Mm-hmm. But now it has gone so far. Uh, September uh, 24th of 2022, so past September, there was a fella, 24 years old. He was missing an eye. That's that's it. That's all that was wrong with him. Missing an eye, had some depression. He's dead. Mm-hmm. He was killed by maid. There is a doctor on Vancouver Island that uh, every month he's trying to do a personal best in performing maid. So killing people medically. Mm-hmm. And um, there's even a push, and this is the part where people are going to just have a lot of trouble believing it because I had a lot of trouble believing it, but I've had this confirmed by several parliamentarians telling me, yeah, this is the conversation that's going forth from the Ontario college of physicians. It's clearly a bunch of crazy people. Um, But there is a push for what they're calling mature minors. So let's translate that for a second. The mature minors are 12 year olds. So they're, they're looking to make it accessible. Let's say a 12 year old is going through depression, pretty common thing to have happen where they get confused or, or whatever the case is, or, um, they can verbally, and this, this isn't, um, on the menu yet, but this is what they're pushing for, for a mature minor, for a 12 year old 
to kill themselves with the doctor without parental consent. No way. See, like this is something I, I didn't even know, but I heard of this book that they had out that basically uh, talks about maid or grooms people towards maid or whatnot. Is that a not- children's book? Yeah, it was put out by an official uh, like Health Canada or something like that. It was sponsored and uh, a children's book glorifying maid and making it seem like just this fun thing. Right. So I was I was shocked by that without knowing what you just told me right now, which makes it seem just maniacal and malicious. What a horrible, what a horrible initiative. To to put it into context, Jason, um, the Nazis backed off of this. Right. So what we're, what we're doing right now with made was too, was too nasty for the Nazis. The Nazis thought, Ah, that's a bit much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the Nazis backed off of this because they were going down this the ex- identical road. Uh, they ended up clearing out anybody that wasn't a productive member of society. So they started with the mental asy- asylums. So mental health, let's clear them out. They're mm-hmm. they're a burden on society, and mm-hmm. they used the whole burden on society thing. Then the old age homes, and then the um, uh, palliative care uh, cleared them all out. You know, and that that's where it started long before the gas chambers were built for everybody else. Um, that's where it started to sort of get people used to th- this idea that if you're a burden on society, then let's kill you. I just rewatched the movie Salient Green. Uh, are you familiar with that movie? Like 1978? Yes. Just rewatched it. Uh, okay. I bought it on YouTube for like six bucks. <laughs> they're still making money off that thing huh <laughs> yeah still making money well youtube is anyway but um so for six bucks i got to watch this 1978 movie and it was set in the in the year 2022 by the way oh that i did not know okay yeah pretty interesting so in the year 2022 was the setting of it and uh complete economic collapse post-apocalyptic kind of uh landscape very dystopian and the same kind of idea. Hey, are you a burden on society? Have you already lived your life? You, you really should die. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they took it a step for, for, uh, further. The Soylent Green, they were eating their dead. Oh, you just, but, spoiler alert. Spoiler yeah, so, alert. <laughs> well, the movie was 1978. I was eight years old when it came out. <laughs> so not much of a spoiler. But um, so I'm not saying we're going to go uh, as far as eating our dead. Right. I mean, we'd have to be pretty. We really have to have the munchies. But um, as far as clearing out old age homes and the burden of society mentality, absolutely, we, we're already there. Right. Like, this is not some future thing. We are already there with our ethos or lack thereof. And it's concerning. But um, back to where we were with uh, with the veteran. So veteran number two, Bruce, uh, comes to me the, the night before the third testimony of the Standing Committee of Veterans Affairs, does the 10-minute tell-all of how it happened to him. And then I call up my friends at the National Post <laughs> and, um, and send it to uh, Blake Richards, who's the Shadow Minister of Veterans Affairs, and everybody else I could think of. Um, there's many people, both liberal, NDP, Bloc, and they're all on Team Mark. 
they are all concerned with this. They were all moved by my testimony in, in Ottawa. So I sent it to all of them. Mm-hmm. It's like, here you go. <laughs> the next morning, the next morning, uh, Minister of Veterans Affairs, Lawrence McCauley comes on and says, okay, so uh, we got some new information. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the morning it had nothing to do with my show, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the next morning he comes out and says, okay, so uh, it's still just one caseworker, honest, you know, because I would never tell a lie. Uh, it's just one caseworker, but it's uh, four veterans. The count is at four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay. So just the very next morning, um, I, I found two of them so far at this point uh, and knew of another. Um, at, but I found the exact same ones that were the only perpetrators. Interesting. Mm-hmm. What are the odds of that? Well, the odds are zero, Jason. The odds are absolutely zero. So my count right now, um, because Christine Gauthier came out and then I, I had her on the show after uh, she put her hand up at committee, she was testifying on the horrible services being provided by Veterans Affairs. The topic of MAID came up by Bruce Moncour, who's also been on the show, and she put her hand up. I was like, oh, yes, ma'am. Uh, what do you have to add? Well, the MAID thing, it was offered to me too. What? Wow. Wow. What? Uh, but with her conversation, it was so precious. Uh, she's, she was uh, told after five years of fighting for a wheelchair elevator, which is required because she's uh, paraplegic. So she's a veteran, a Paralympian. Uh, she competed at the Invictus Games and she needs an elevator for a new home. She's been fighting for five years and Veterans Affairs has been finding all kinds of excuses not to do it. And, um, so she was told, well, ma'am, if it's really such a struggle for you, we can just kill you. Right. Like, wouldn't that be easier than fighting for this wheelchair ramp? If this is really such a struggle. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, that's exactly what they're saying. Like, here's the door to death. Do you want to take it when people are already down and out and when they're down? Right. And when this first came to my attention, there was a story that was in the news here in Ottawa about a gentleman who was suffering from chronic pain and he was going to be kicked out of his apartment. He didn't want to be homeless. So he he signed up for made himself. Like that was not offered to him. He's like, I just want to do that. And apparently what's happening in, well, it's been reported. I believe uh, Pierre Polyev kind of made that story public in regards to people at food banks now asking employees, like, what can I do about made homeless people? Because they're saying, I'm tired of being homeless. I I can imagine in some parts of the country, like it's winter right now here in Canada. It's cold. Every time I'm having a bad day, I remind myself how lucky I am to have heat in my home where there are people that are living on the streets. And I'm so grateful that that story was told. And I'm hoping that more people are getting to hear this. And that's why I want to have you here on the show. And the fact that you had mentioned testifying here and making moving people and moving people with your testimony. So if you wouldn't mind just sharing some of that testimony, what is it in that testimony that you believe that you shared with people that move them into action? No, that's a good question. I've never actually thought about the components of it, but the fact that I was there as a veteran wearing my medals and one person in particular, the, um, she was the, the liberal that was there just before she's about to ask me a question, she couldn't, she ended up breaking into tears. 
because it really struck her that even though I'm injured myself and um, have sacrificed for my country, here I am still fighting the fight, still trying to help people with my show and advocating for others. There was something about that that really shook her up. Um, Another one asked me if knowing what I know now, would I do it again? Would I still serve my country? And I said, yeah, I would. As a matter of fact, I don't know anybody that would has ever said no. Because despite the abuse, despite um, being abandoned, despite all of it, I didn't do it for my government. I did it for the people of Canada and, and for my own sense of pride and my own sense of country, not for the government of the day. I mean, when I was in a war, that was back in 1994, you know, 28 years ago. So there's quite a few governments that have come and gone since then. I don't do it for them. I don't do it for the Liberal Party or the Conservative Party or or any party. I do it for everybody else. And that's what we all do. You know, it's uh, for the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, that kind of thing. That's that's why we serve. And and the adventure and, and everything else, but um, and the challenge. But we serve for not the government, we serve for the people. And so of course I'd do it again, despite everything else, despite the injury, despite the suffering I've gone through. Uh, yeah, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Right. And um, I think that is what really kind of shook people up because they got a better idea of what the sacrifice is that uh, many who have served go through. Mm -hmm. But um, this was definitely a multi-partisan issue. I was expecting to be cross-examined or doubted or called a liar um, when I was testifying in Ottawa. That didn't happen. I was expecting it, and I'm glad it didn't happen uh, because it was kind of a stressful thing to go through. But it didn't. Uh, Instead, everybody there was kind and compassionate, and after the hearing... They come up, came up to me individually, whether it was the Bloc or um, NDP, Liberal, Conservative, it didn't matter. And even though I was basically throwing the current Liberal uh, government under the bus, it didn't matter. The Liberals were coming up to me anyway and thanking me for being there and thanking me for sharing my, my testimony. So I think this is going to be the issue for the election. And I could easily be wrong, but I think this is a bridge too far for most Canadians. I agree. It is for me. And it's too much. It's tragic is what it really is. It truly is tragic. So many don't recover. So many people's lives are still in shambles. And like you said, they did it for the Canadian people. So here's this individual that signs their life on the dotted line fights for this country, fights for Canadians. And then, I mean, it's an issue. Just what are we doing for our veterans today? And, you know, you could have been one of those tragic figures. And I I know you pretty well, and I I think you're comfortable to go there. But, I mean, if MAID was available in this capacity to you you when you were at your lowest, could you see yourself signing up for this? So I had a moment, uh, as you probably know from the show, and, I, and I'm open about it, in uh, 
July of 21, um, I had, I don't know what you'd call it. I, th- I think you'd call it a psychotic break. Perhaps it was a uh, disassociative episode is probably the best way to diagnose it. Mm-hmm. But um, I was in a state of complete overwhelm. I had three or four major events happening all at the same time and including a major betrayal betrayal from somebody who I truly cared about, who I accepted as family. And it was just a whopper, but it all hit me at the same time. And in order to try to uh, self care and and try to um, get myself out of that flap, I jumped on my motorcycle and I, I went for a ride. I figured maybe that would reset me and it wasn't working. So I ended up going into the mountains and uh, well, well out of cell service. It's actually a dead end road um, up past Sandy Nab campground in the, in Kananaskis. Absolutely gorgeous. And um, I just kept riding just about at the, at the dead end. I pull over and I, I walk into this beautiful field and there's this river Valley and uh, this looks nice and sat down there just trying to, not be in a flap, just trying to get grounded. And I was sitting in the grass, actually kneading the grass with my hands, trying to get grounded, trying to use every tool that I have in the toolbox, connecting with nature, uh, observing, using mindfulness, looking at this cool deer that got unusually close to me. Mm. Um, And then the thought popped into my head, hey, you got a knife in your pocket. Wonder what the inside of your wrist looks like. And, um, it was, it was just like one of these cartoons with the, the devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other, having an argument, both fighting for your mind. It was exactly like that. Hmm. Uh, it was like, I had two different voices, one going, Hey, let's, let's have a look and the other one going, no, don't do it. But, uh, the angel got silenced and that knife came out and I went for it. I tried to open up my left wrist, Um, but that same fight was happening and the seed was already planted that this was an option and I knew where to go and how to do it. I, I don't know if I would have, but I could see it. I could see that happening. Being in that um, disassociated state, I could have seen myself uh, strolling into one of these places while I'm in one of those states where I'm just not thinking clearly. And someone is persuading you, like they're giving you that option on top of it. I can only imagine what that nudge can do to to an individual that is even just wavering. I think that's incredibly dangerous. Would it not be one of those things that you would hope that maybe you would let that person present to you first, opposed to maybe... I would think that my job, if I was working for MAID, is that if someone were to come to me having this conversation is that the first line of defense is okay let's take a look at your mental health let's give you some alternatives in regards to why you want to live opposed to why you want to go through that door and not come back yeah that that barrier to entry although on the made website it it tries to paint it as if there's a barrier to entry there isn't right now uh, you could get it done by a pharmacist right so i don't know what the rest of the procedure is how you you know it where the coroner is involved or whatever, but over 10,000 Canadians um, minimum accessed made last year, over 10,000. That's a lot. 
And um, back to your question, though. It's more than just a nudge, Jason. One of the things that keeps us, like I, I struggled with suicidal thoughts for years and years and years and years and um, have previously to that event called a suicide hotline twice in my life. One of the things that has kept me going, that has kept me from doing it, and one of the, and, and it's common, I hear it with other people all the time is that we don't want to leave a mess for somebody. I don't want my family to find uh, that mess. I don't even want a first responder to find that mess. Um, Because I've heard so many stories from first responders of when uh, they're the ones mopping up after somebody sucked off a shotgun. Um. I don't want to do that to somebody. I don't want to traumatize somebody that way. So, and that's probably one of the biggest barriers that most of us that struggle with these types of thoughts have. So you take away that barrier or there's no mess or you're not traumatizing anybody with, um, with the aftermath Mm -hmm. and it's certain, right? Because uh, there's also the fear of what if I don't go far enough? Like what if I only go halfway and end up crippled or maimed? That's not good. Good don't point. want that. Right. So if you take all of these things away um, and you're guaranteed no pain, you know, like every reasonable barrier that keeps people alive, take all those barriers away and people that would otherwise have survived and found a sunnier day somewhere right. in the future, they're going to take that option. Well, they make that option that sunny day. Like it just looks appealing, which is just appalling to me. And in a world that we're living in right now, like when my mother was passing away, luckily she was sane of mind. But there's some people that are going through early set dementia or different types of traumas and aren't able to think clearly to where they can't even sign their bank account over to their son or their daughter. Yet what we're doing is that we're allowing people in that same type of trauma to make the decision as to whether or not they want to live or die without any intervention whatsoever from outside sources, other than the people that are being paid basically to perform the service. Any legal contract, you have to be sound of sound mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't sign a legal contract if you've got half a dozen drinks in you. Because you're not considered to be of sound mind, mm-hmm. but you can show up and uh, say, "Hey, I'd like made, please." One of the questions that I have is that I wonder how much a doctor gets paid for performing made, especially when you hear the story of uh, the doctor on Vancouver Island who's going for a personal best with made every month. It's not much of a stretch to to think, "Huh, I wonder if that's a sociopath or a psychopath." Mm-hmm very likely could be probably is who else gets off on uh, how many people they can kill a month and um, what are they getting paid for it? Cause if that's his business model, which is why he's going for a personal best every month, what, uh, what type of banks that guy making? And should we be um, paying any more for a doctor performing made than any other appointment? If it takes, if it's a five minute appointment, 
Mm-hmm. It's a five minute appointment, no mm-hmm. matter what they're doing. So what is that incentive? Because if it's uh, five times, 10 times uh, a regular appointment for the, for the time investment, well, of course, the sociopaths and the psychopaths are right. Like why monetize that? If anything, it incentivizes it, like you said, opposed to, you know what? I don't, it, I, I would think that it, it should be a difficult process for some. Obviously, there's others that I, I, I see the association that you're making. But if you did take away the monetization of it and then you, you know, you had that element of having to take a person's life, I don't think it would be worth that person's time as much. You know what I mean, as far as the doctor is concerned. I mean, I don't know uh, what they get paid for it, but it's reasonable to assume if somebody's going for a personal best, he's not doing it out of some sort of like, why else would he want to be going for a personal best every month? If there's not a monetary component. Yeah, it would, it'd be hard to believe that he's doing it from a good place because he's not advocating for any type of mental health reform or that or, or things of that nature. So it has to be because he just wants to lead the field out of ego. Well, the um, where I'm getting these stories is from Physicians for Life. So Physicians, Physicians for Life, the executive director is Nicole Scheidel, and um, they are very much throwing out uh, the the warning flags about the maid program and how it's being perverted and it's just so wrong what it's turned into. So I had her on the show uh, some time ago. I can make the intro if if you would like to have her on the show, but um, that's where I was getting these stories from and I have no reason to disbelieve her, you know, but um, there's a whole group of doctors uh, that are, stomping their feet and waving their hands going, Hey, 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 there's a problem over here. And, and yet the Ontario college of physicians, <laughs> they're nuts. You know, they're, they're, they're all in on this. They think it's just great uh, that without complete bodily autonomy, you know, uh, but it's funny because they're saying bodily autonomy. Uh, so you should have the right to kill yourself. Oh, okay. That's understandable. Do I have the right to maybe not get the jab? No, no, no. You don't have that. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, you can't have bodily autonomy there. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, it's, um, it's psychotic. Yeah. And we could go on for hours uh, about that. <laughs> That'll be for a another show. Uh, but Mark, I really do appreciate your time. And I know how strongly you advocate on the behalf of other individuals that don't have that voice and give them a voice uh, with your podcast. Thank you for your service as well. I don't think that maybe you hear that often enough. So how do people find your show that can guide them towards the help that they need? I appreciate that. Um, So on all the major podcast channels, uh, Spotify, it uploads first on anchor and then is always within on Spotify within the hour. And then all the major ones after that, I think it usually takes about a day to get on all the rest of them. So Google, Amazon, uh, you name it. Spotify is probably the easiest way to find it and to uh, and to follow and like and subscribe and hit the notification bell. Right. Uh, it's also on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, and two Facebook pages. So my personal Facebook page and um, and the Operation Tango Romeo Facebook page as well. So if somebody wants to have the video catalog, uh, probably the best is my, is uh, the Operation Tango Romeo Facebook page. That's probably the best place to find the full video catalog. 
um, and there's a partial video catalog on on YouTube. And it's really difficult to access the catalog on on LinkedIn or Twitter, but right. uh, I live stream there as well. Okay, thank you kindly, and again, thank you for your time, uh, and thank you for your time uh, for tuning into another edition of the Launchpad Podcast. Big shout out to the title sponsor, Car City Canada. And until next time, oh wait, before I do that, I got to do the whole Mark Meinke thing. Please like and subscribe if you enjoyed <laughs> the content, and make sure that you go do the same for him. Until next time, you take care. Be well and love simply because you can.